all of these things are about community and participation and that new things can be created by doing it that way. Hello, welcome to On The Edge, a podcast about making unexpected connections everywhere and anywhere. My name is Roland Harwood, and in each episode, we talk with someone who is making sense of our increasingly connected world. In this first episode of 2020, I'm very pleased to welcome Shelley Kuypers, who is an activist in business, fashion, feminism, and finance. In our conversation, we focused upon three things that she is activating right now. Firstly, she's co-founder of the 51 Investment Fund, focused upon female investors and entrepreneurs. Secondly, she's co-created a sustainable clothing label called Harris Kuypers. Lastly, she is founder and CEO of a technology company called Iovia, which builds people-powered, sustainable brand communities for the likes of Unilever and IKEA, whom we discuss in this episode. Shelley is based in Canada, and we first met over 10 years ago, and since then we've worked together on many projects including helping to co-create Lego Ideas, which is now described as the world's most successful customer crowdsourcing community. I've always found that she has a blend of humility and curiosity coupled with ambition and resilience, which is as rare as it is powerful. And so I'm delighted to have recently joined the Iovia team, which I'm excited about and will share more about another time. We had a really interesting and insightful conversation where we talked about activism through building community and in particular exploring whether business can be a force for good in the world. So I started out by asking her why she describes herself as an activist and what kinds of things she's focused upon right now. Enjoy! I think everyone's an activist now in some shape or form, right? being an activist is extremely accessible because people just pick up a cause and they run with it and they go, I believe in this. And and activism doesn't mean like storming the streets, burning the buildings. It just means going, I believe something needs to change and I'm going to, I'm going to voice my opinion on it and I'm going to drive change to, to change it. Can you tell me some, what are some of the things you're an activist about? What are some of the topics that you're fired up about right now? Oh, feminism for sure. I always have been though. You know, the 51 was really born from, you know, we believe that the last frontier for feminism is financial. No, I think I'm an activist for, for brands, right? Like, I think Iovia is a bit of an activist brand. I think HK is, right? Where we're saying there could be a different way to make clothing. Can you tell us a bit more about these three things? So the 51, Iovia and HK, what, what are they? What, what do they do? What are they, the causes that they stand behind? Iovia is about, you know, pushing the brands to think differently about how to build their business. So instead of doing it from a very insular, internal perspective, what's the opportunity to harness an external stakeholder, a consumer, a brand fan to create new value with them? So I think it's just such a logical opportunity for brands, but I don't think brands always have the courage to do it. Brand fans and consumers at the heart can really provide better guidance, strategic guidance to a brand than, you know, an agency coming up with the next ad campaign. 
and I'm not against advertising, but I think, you know, how many advertising agencies are made up of individuals that don't even represent their consumers. I think there's a different way. I think there's a better way. Just curious whether you think brands are a force for good in the world or can be a force for good in the world. I think they can be. I think, are they? No, not necessarily. I think if they want to be, they can be. You know, if they use their brand as a platform for force of good, for sure. I think it, it could be extremely powerful. There's some really amazing brands out there that do do that, right? Like Ikea, right? You know, they're building refugee camp housing. So they're taking what they do and their trade and what they're really good at, and they're doing something completely different with it. But uh, yeah, I wanted with the IKEA example that you just gave, I just wanted you to sort of explain why you think that's a, a good thing for a brand like IKEA to be doing other than it's, you know, it's a nice thing for it to be doing, but it, is it more than just nice? There's benefit for the brand and there's benefit for, you know, the people that will benefit from that housing. You know, I haven't been to a refugee camp, but I imagine you would want to do something if you went there. So I imagine IKEA is very compelled to do that. But I also think they probably look at a situation like that and they go, okay, we're looking at this situation. How can we use that as a means to innovate for IKEA? You know, how do we build really efficient, effective homes in a small space for many, many people? I think there's no doubt that the people that get to kind of walk and live inside of these homes that they're building, is it, it's got to be hugely beneficial because people live in these camps for years. I mean, I would go one step further and just say... I think these big companies, these big brands like IKEA have a huge role to play far bigger than they currently do in, in tackling some of these kind of big mm -hmm. challenges, whether it's around housing or sustainability, possibly mm -hmm. far more so than the, the sort of traditional actors. I think we're not there yet. So that's, that's what frustrates me. So yeah, I mean, mm -hmm. do you agree with that? And or yeah, where, where do you think? Oh, we yeah, are? I, I totally agree with it. But I think you know, the things that I do and participate in, Roland, and you probably know this, they're always so early. Always. <laughs> so um, I think, yeah, absolutely. I completely agree with you. But I think it's going to be a long time for some brands to get on board on that. You know, some are taking steps there. But I think the opportunity, both the social and commercial opportunity for the brands to do it is is enormous. There's a Ernest Hemingway quote that change happens gradually and then suddenly. And I just think, yeah. I think there will be tipping points in the next decade. I'm not sure when. I'm curious about the fact that you said you're early to, to trends and I'd like to talk about some of the others. How do you get interested in things? How do you spot the trends that you're interested in or that you want to work on? What, how has that happened in your career? I think I'm a big reader and I just follow, I think I just follow really interesting people and connect dots and but I think it I think it's just a curiosity you know it's even like if you look at crowdsourcing like we were one of the first companies to do crowdsourcing and we collaborated with Jeff Howe on his book it was so early and the company was a disaster it was a complete disaster but it's a bit of a tiring journey at some points and like on the financial feminism side that was an idea and a dream 10 years ago um, tell me more about yeah 51 the 51 because that's i know that's <laughs> amazing so just yeah tell us a bit more about that because that's a, an amazing story i think there's been so many things that have kind of lend itself to the 51 you know personal experience going out and raising money you know the three co-founders at the 51 we've all got experience with this right this finance for women so it could be raising money it could be creating a fund 
But one of the co-founders and I, years ago, we were on a plane and we were like, why isn't there just a fund for women, you know, built by women? Why can't women just go get financing from people who understand what they're doing? And we were like, yeah, we got to do that. We got to do that. And then we didn't do it. Why didn't you do it at the time? Well, just because there's just too much other stuff to do. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's like, there's a lot of work to do, Roland. Um, And this is just one of them. But I think then I moved to Europe because I lived in London for six years. I recall. Um, Yeah. And then when I came back to Canada two years ago, two and a half years ago, I pinged my friend again and I said, we've got to do this. This is time. It needs to happen. We first started to collaborate around an event idea. And then that kind of fizzled out. And then I was introduced to another woman who ultimately became the other co-founder of the 51. Uh, We went on a road trip down to Palo Alto and I won't reveal too much of the details about it, but we went on a road trip down there and we participated in a startup lab that was supposed to be focused and targeted on women. And it was just really weird. And we all kind of walked away from that and we we're like, okay, that is definitely not what we're going to do. It was like a beauty pageant as we came back up to Canada and we said, okay, let's do this. How are we going to do it? So yeah, bring us up to date. So what's happened then in the last year and, and where are you at in terms of the investments that you've made and How's it going now? Mm. So we've activated about 2,000 members across events, social media, and mailing lists. So it's still early days. We've had four events, um, different topics, different experiences. You know, one had an entrepreneur in the room. The other had somebody sharing advice for entrepreneurs. So it's been a very varied event lineup. But we've invested in 17 entrepreneurs, close to 6 million Canadian. And we've activated potential female accredited investors. We're probably sitting at about 40 right now. And so that means that those are women that have kind of stepped up to say, I am an accredited investor, which is a designation here in Canada, which means you have to have a certain net worth in order to Mm -hmm. participate Um, And I'd like to invest. And so while all of those women haven't invested, um, we have been able to activate some of the women. And so that capital um, is representative women's capital only so far. But what's really cool is we're now getting um, inbound interest from men who are saying, I want to invest in this asset class, which is early stage technology or technology enabled businesses that are either co-led or co-founded by women. We're definitely building some momentum. Um, Right now, we're in a situation where we can't keep up with the incoming interest around the 51, whether it's, you know, somebody wanting to come to the next event, an entrepreneur looking for financing, or an investor who's saying, I I want to get involved. So it's, uh, it's really exciting. And again, it goes back to that comment I said early, earlier around you know, you can be early or you can kind of be on time. And I think the 51 is is definitely on time. Yeah, no, it's so exciting to to see that journey. I'm just curious where, where it leads. Another thing that you're doing, I know, is around fashion. You mentioned it briefly earlier, Harris Kuypers. Can you tell us a bit about that too? So it is a brand and a clothing line created with a very dear friend, Laura Harris. And we've talked about doing a clothing line for years. Um, it's always been like that thing that we wanted to do. And there is that kind of that timing around both of us turning 50. And we were like, okay, are we going to do this or what? And so we decided to do it. 
But again, you know, the form that um, HK took for us was uh, very different than I think what we imagined many, many years ago. So we're really trying to focus on trying to be, you know, the most sustainable new clothing line possible. So we're using organic fabrics and textiles, um, recycled ones, but producing new clothing. It's all handmade on the west coast of Canada. Um, it's short run, so that means we're not doing mass numbers. Right now, we're a direct-to-consumer line, which means it's all online. We've built our shop on Shopify. We've had to build out some kind of live experiences so that people could kind of you know get to know our clothing a bit. And we've had a really awesome response from from what we've produced so far. But We've just done one line and now we're kind of embarking on what we want to do this summer. And again, we're looking at textiles, we're looking at manufacturing, we're looking at the whole thing. But but again, it's handmade by a team of women on the West Coast. So we're really trying to do it differently. I would say the kind of the next phase of what we're doing will definitely include upcycled textiles and fabrics. So it could be repurposing existing clothing to make new clothing. So we're really going to experiment around, you know, what is the future of fashion and just kind of play around in our little lab and see if people want to buy it. That's a phenomenal spread of things from brand activism <laughs> to feminist finance to sustainable fashion. How do they how do they connect and interrelate in your in your mind or in reality? At the heart of it, it's all community or participation. I don't know what term is best used, but you know, at Iovia we really stand for you know, building community for a specific purpose for a brand. And I know at Iovia, we've played around with, you know, communities for a commercial purpose and communities for a social purpose, or even the combination of the two, you know, the 51 at the heart of it, it is a community. Um, And so we've designed the 51 to be a community first and foremost of those that have capital to invest, those that are looking for capital for their business and those that aspire to be an investor or an entrepreneur. So we're very inclusive and open. There's nothing exclusive about the 51. And so uh, it's, it's, it's very much a, a community at heart. And I think people really do say, I am the 51. They wear that as a badge or, you know, I am a financial feminist. So we're, we're definitely building a, a community and movement there. And then at, uh, with HK, um, again, it, it's a community. So while you know, Laura and I have kind of put the stake in the ground around what we're creating, which is clothing right now. We've built a community around us of collaborators that are taking kind of the ends of our textiles and they're turning it into art, um, into other items. We have a, an award-winning quilter that has taken a bunch of our ends from our clothing and has created a quilt, uh, which we then auctioned off, which we then gave the proceeds to women in need. Um, so we have a community of circular creators around us and then we have a broader community of women that we tell stories of so we have every friday we do an hk friday and that's where we profile a woman that we really admire and what she's doing in the world that's really super interesting and cool and impactful um so i think at the heart of it all of these things are about community and participation and that new things can be created by doing it that way I love that. I'm kind of curious where where that sort of drive to build community perhaps comes from, either either in you as a person or sort of in the world more generally. About you know, is that something that uh, we're missing right now and we need more of, and that's why you're building these or participating mm-hmm. in these communities? Or yeah, I just yeah, where where do you think that stems from for you? 
I think it's this idea of like, if we do it together, we could do much, so much more versus trying to do it, you know, versus it being an I, it's what can we do? And it's the idea of being really cognizant around that language and that meaning. So, you know, I really try to stay away from the I and really focus on, well, what can we do collectively as a community or as a movement or as a group of women? I think it's a we mentality. It's not an ego-driven process. It's about we could do more together than we can alone, right? And I think that, mm. isn't there another quote like that, Roland? Uh, the quote guy. I, I, am I? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, I think... I think the one you mean, but you might be thinking of something else, is the African <laughs> proverb, if you want to go fast, go alone, and if you want to go far, go together. Is that the one you mean? Yeah, yeah that, that's a good one. I like it. But on the kind of community, on the we rather than the I, that is you know, an inherently more feminine quality as well, isn't it? Do you think we're entering a, a feminine era yes. at last? Yes, at last. It's awesome. How does it feel? Well, how does it feel for you? Because for us as women, it feels fucking fantastic. But, <laughs> um, I, but I love it. I, I love how you know all these men are rallying around it. But I know that you know it. It's, it has to be destabilizing in some ways too. So I don't know. I think there's populist movements like Trump that really don't want it to happen. But I think it's it's going to happen. It is happening. Well, I, I find it exciting as well. I don't want to begin to attempt to speak on behalf of all men, but I think it feels good. It feels, it feels yeah, about time, shall we say. You mentioned earlier the communities that you're building are inclusive or you're working hard to make them inclusive you know how does that work in practice because not everyone has not everyone works as part of a brand not everybody has money to invest there's a balance between letting anybody participate which on the surface sounds like the right thing to do and a good thing balancing inclusion with purpose maybe i think inclusion is probably first tackled by you know self-identification like i think if you don't self-identify with the movement or the community then you're probably not going to be self-included if that makes sense so i think that's the first filter like if you don't if you don't believe financial feminism is kind of the final frontier of feminism and you don't see both the commercial opportunity and the social opportunity investing in women then you probably aren't going to be included because you aren't self-including yourself. So I think in some ways it kind of naturally works out. And then, you know, even if you were to come into that community and, you know, try to be, you know, a disruptor of the movement or the the purpose, I think, I don't think that anything bad would happen, but I, I think communities have a way of kind of working it out. Like if I look at the 51, we've had four events and there hasn't been anybody coming into the event going, yeah, I'm included in here today. And, you know, I think this is the stupidest thing ever. And, you know, you guys are all idiots and I'm out of here or whatever. Like it just hasn't happened. And I think it's because a community naturally has some self accountability or mutual accountability um, because it's very open and transparent, right? Inclusive means that 
you know, if you are a believer of the mission and the purpose, then you're included. And hopefully what we've done is we've created a sense of belonging. And that's one thing about the 51 that we've definitely have hit on is, is um, women have said, you know, I find, I finally found my tribe, like this is my group. This is where I'm supposed to be. This is where I'm supposed to be hanging out. These are my people. Um, And it's, it's people from all different kind of backgrounds and experiences. It's, it's young women that are now just dreaming about being an entrepreneur, but they find themselves in that room. So what you're talking about now is kind of finding your finding your tribe and we're kind of maybe self-selecting the communities we want to be part of i guess my question is what's the flip side to that self-selection so there's a lot of talk at the moment that you know we live in a very polarized times politically and Mm. and economically and socially so how do we break out of those but i think if we specifically go back to women again i think you know, women are self-forming around some of these really key topics Um, because, you know, maybe we've been given a platform to do that. Maybe there's been enough women, you know, breaking down some of these doors that are, you know, have always considered to be taboo and now anything can be talked about or explored or challenged. But maybe that is the the flip side of it because I totally agree. It's very polarized. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think, you know, again, at 51 um, and at HK and Iobia, I think we really try to be positive about it, like the positive opportunity about it versus going versus a negative perspective and, and trying to create that polarization. So it's kind of like there's a continuum, right? So there's coming out and saying things that need to change. And, you know, probably saying it nicely several, several times. And then maybe, okay, nobody's hearing me. So now I have to say it louder and I have to say it in a different place. Um, so I, I, I think there's a continuum of, of activism. But I think we have to, you know, credit activists for, you know, helping us see a different perspective and really changing the world. And in some cases, we're changing the world not for the good. Part of what you're saying, I think, if I can sort of play back what I'm hearing, is that there's something very empowering, sure, but also kind of creative and, well, exciting. If you find, if you find your people, you know, whether it's Lego, adult fans of Lego in, a, in an online Iovia community or whether it's kind of female entrepreneurs in a 51 event or whatever it is, if you feel like you're with people who, who get you and like the same things or care about the same things that you do, then there's something transcendent about that. There's something very powerful in that community. I think so. And I think maybe because we don't have community in our physical form anymore, right? Like where we live, you know, have we done a really good job of our physical communities? I think in some cases we haven't. So I think we're trying to find community in other ways, right? You know, we don't go to church anymore. We don't know our neighbors so I think it's a very natural human instinct to want to create community around something. Uh, I totally agree. I'm kind of curious where, what, what, where was community for you growing up? Um, it was probably family first. We had a family that was kind of distributed wide, but we always kind of came together. So that was probably, you know, my first community. You know, church, there was definitely a church community there too. That's probably where I learned how to be an activist because <laughs> I, hmm. 
I completely disagreed with it. So that's probably where I got my my rebellion hmm. from. You found your voice. Yeah. I found my voice for sure. Yeah. But I think it was definitely family first. And then um, other than that, I don't think there really has been a community. So maybe that's maybe that's why I do it too, is I was I was like, I don't have a community, so I'm gonna build one. Just building on that, you know, some of these communities that you've talked about uh, are quite local. So the 51 is kind of around the Calgary area and growing, I'm sure, but but it's kind mm-hmm. of centered around Calgary. Is that right? But it's going to be global, Roland. We're coming uh, to the UK at some point. So I get I, I, my question that I was coming to is, yeah, what's the, how do you balance the the local and the global, you know, being in a room with people uh, with the, mm-hmm. uh, with a connection with people you care about, even if they're, you know, on the other side of the planet. From all of the things that you're involved with, do you have any reflections on getting the right balance between those two things? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, maybe starting local, but having a, a global vision or perspective, I think is a good one. But, but then again, you know, we could go back to the discussion that you and I have had many times where it's like, well, is that really sustainable? So does a 51 exist in the UK, well, what does that look like in the future? Because it definitely can't include a bunch of people getting on a plane all the time to build that community. But I, I think that there is power in starting in a, in a local community, igniting that community, and then going to the next community, and then going to the next community. So right now, yeah, we are in Calgary, but we definitely have a, a national vision and would like to be global, but that might look different. That might be, you know, working with and partnering with other organizations that are doing it in their community um, versus, you know, it always being the default that you've got to go global or you've got to be global. So I think the founders of the 51 probably oscillate between those two ideas, but I think I think everyone would would agree it's got to be sustainable. This comes back to brand, I think, for me. So there may be you three founders in Calgary who are passionate about investing in female-led businesses. This is where brands play a role. They carry the message. They carry the community to other places, even if you can't be there in person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. I'd like to bring it back. Just that brand point feels quite important, and it feels like it links... With some of this, uh, the the IOVIA stuff that we've been doing, you know, these big, big, big global brands. I'm just, I'm still trying to get my head around whether, in what way, brands can be a force for good in the world. And there's so much. It's easy to be cynical about some of this stuff. And you mentioned earlier greenwashing, or you didn't mention, but a lot of people talking about purpose washing. Lots of companies wanting to, you know, say mm-hmm. they've got a big purpose, but it's people see through that. People call it out. I think we were in a violent agreement, were we? <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I so. mean, I, you know, I think, I think at Iovia, I think, you know, I think we're always going to have this debate around, you know, do we work with these large established brands and, and help them transform? Or do we work with the challenger brands that are, are leading the transformation and are really, you know, walking the talk? So what do you think? I think it's possible. I think it's the exception rather than the norm at the moment, but I think it's necessary and I think it is changing. It's kind of doing good through the core business rather than as a kind of parallel endeavor, given all the things that you talked about, which 
which all sound fantastic. And I'm sure people listening to this will be interested in participating in some, if not all of it. So how can, how can other people participate? How can other people help? How can they contribute to what you're, you're working on and you've talked about on this, on this conversation so far? I would say, you know, find a woman and invest in her, like really invest in her. Because I think she might be building a, a very different business than a traditional business. And I think, therefore, communities can be redesigned. I always say, you know, the world is largely designed by men. Like, what if, you know, what if even just 51% of the world was designed by women? Like, there's just so much opportunity. So I think seek out these women that are redesigning our systems and our solutions and find one and support one and champion them. That would be definitely one call to action. You know, I think on the fashion side, I think we've all heard the statistics, right? You know, it's not a very good industry for our planet. In fact, it's a terrible one. So, you know, reconsider your fashion choices and what you're doing. And that's going to be hard. You know, we're going to have to all make compromise on on how we're kind of, we just lead this consumption life and it's just not sustainable. So we really have to stop ourselves in the tracks. On the big brand side, I just think, I don't know if some of these brands know what know what's coming, but I, I just don't think consuming more of their stuff is, is the future. And so I think all of these brands are going to have to be redesigned to consuming things that are sustainable versus consuming things that are not. Lots of changes coming, and I think it can be really, really positive, or it could not be. I think it's up to us that really want to be positive to, to stay positive and be that positive activist. So that's what I would say. Thank you, Shelley. There was so much in our conversation that I found fascinating and inspiring about business and brands being a force for good in the world. And for me, the conversation was an important reminder of the value of fostering positivity as a core component of activism. It feels like an appropriate episode to start Series 2 of On The Edge. There are some links in the show notes that go with this episode if you want to find out more about Shelley and some of the things we discussed. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode and we will return again very soon. Before we go, please can I ask that you rate, comment and subscribe to this podcast or share it with others who you think might like it as well using the hashtag OnTheEdge. This will encourage us to keep on making new connections and to find more interesting people to talk to and to share those conversations with you. This podcast was brought to you by Liminal, a collective intelligence community that is focused upon addressing complex and collaborative challenges of our increasingly connected world. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep on connecting people and ideas. If you do, you never know what might happen. Thank you and goodbye.